Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Why did God create Satan when Satan is so evil? That's the question I'd like to answer this morning. And right off, I've got a problem, don't I? George Barna, who is the Christian pollster, has done a a tremendous, uh, expansive poll of what churchgoers actually believe. And he discovered that 60% of those who call themselves Christians do not believe that Satan is a real being. They believe that Satan is only a metaphor, an image for evil in this universe. And this is in despite the fact that Jesus himself teaches us to pray against the devil in our life. 60% don't believe that. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant Oxford professor, wrote a a book called Screwtape Letters. Uh, It's a book, an imaginary book, in which the senior devil, the veteran devil, Screwtape, is training a rookie devil, Wormwood, in the art of the destruction and temptation of human beings. And it's really a very funny book. But it takes Satan seriously, and in the preface of it, Lewis says he does believe, this Oxford professor, that Satan is a real being whose objective is to destroy us. And so along the line, in this book, he gives us deep insights in how the devil actually goes about this. But maybe the best, the very best temptation that Satan has, and one of the best lines in this book is this. He's teaching Wormwood how to destroy a human being. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. So the very first thing that the devil tries to do is to convince us that he doesn't exist. And the reason is, if you don't believe in the devil, then you are defenseless against him. You can't even see him operate in your life. Still, what evidence is there that the the devil is actually a real being in this universe. Well, my evidence for that is simply Jesus taught us it is so. It's because Jesus believes in the devil that I believe in the devil, quite apart from some other reasons. Even apart from Jesus' teaching on the devil, all through the scriptures you find the devil, from the beginning pages of scriptures to the very end in the book of Revelation. The devil is active and treated as an existing person on planet Earth. Far from being some primitive belief, though, that fades away with the coming of the superior teaching of Jesus, it is Jesus who has more to tell us about the devil than anyone else in the Scriptures. It is Jesus who is the primary teacher 
about the existence of Satan. Jesus battles the devil personally throughout his life. Satan tries to kill Jesus at his very birth. And then when Jesus begins his ministry, Satan personally, and I say personally because Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere like God is. He's local. So Satan himself comes, not sends one of his demons, to personally tempt Jesus to sin against the Father in heaven in order to disqualify his work upon the cross later because only a sinless person could die for the sins of others. And if that is not enough in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to to pray, deliver us from the evil one. This prayer that is kind of, you know, the basic way to live the Christian life, how to live the Christian life. He teaches whatever you pray, pray that you might be delivered from the evil one. It seems to me that there are only three options when you look at this in the scriptures. The first option is that Jesus didn't mean what he said. But then if Jesus didn't mean what he said about the devil, what else did he not mean that he said? The second option is to say that Jesus was simply wrong and that he was imagining things when he battled Satan and when he said he was tempted in the desert by Satan. It was all just his imagination gone wild and he was wrong. But if Jesus is wrong about Satan and if Satan is just his imagination gone wild, then what else is Jesus wrong about and is just his imagination? There's only one other option, the third option. And that is, Jesus had come from the other side, that is, from heaven. And that in heaven, he had fought this war against Satan. And he knew him very well. And so when he came down to earth, he emptied himself to be born as a baby in a manger. He knew what he was talking about when he talked about an evil angel, a fallen angel named Satan, who was seeking to destroy everything that God loved. How then can 60% of Christians say they do not believe Satan is real? It can only be because they either don't read the Gospels themselves or they pick and choose of what Jesus says and what they want to believe. It can only be that. The Bible gives Satan many different names and each of these names exposes a different characteristic of him. The first and most common name is Satan, or devil. Satan is the Hebrew. Devil is the Greek version of it. Satan means accuser. Devil in Greek means the slanderer. As we read in Revelation chapter 12 earlier this morning, Satan accuses you and me before God night and day, and he accuses us to each other as well. 
I mean, haven't you had the experience where you have been angry at someone and suddenly as your anger sticks in your mind, all kinds of accusing thoughts start flooding in. This one incident made you angry. And then suddenly you think of all sorts of other things you're angry about with this person and other weaknesses they have. You have to stop and ask yourself, where are all these thoughts coming from? From Jesus Christ living within me? From the Holy Spirit? Do these thoughts sound like the whisperings of Jesus to me? Or do they sound more like the thoughts of the accuser, the slanderer? And this is why Ephesians 6 verse 16 warns us, Take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts or arrows of the evil one. The fiery arrows of the evil one. This is a metaphor taken from ancient times that when uh, an army would attack a city, it would first soften its defenses by its archers launching flaming arrows over the walls onto the roofs, the vulnerable roofs within the city, and set the city ablaze and into chaos. And that would begin to crumble its defenses. The scriptures take this image and say, this is what the accuser does. He shoots thoughts into your mind to give you material with which to do evil. Notice Satan doesn't lie to God. When he accuses us, Satan knows God would know that he's lying, so Satan tells him the truth about us. And he's got plenty of material about us, doesn't he? About how we think, the things we don't do that we should have done, the things we do that no one else sees but Satan and God He's got plenty of material on us. He does not need to lie. So he tells the truth about all the things that we do during the day that are not right. And what you learn from this, that Satan is the accuser and the adversary, is that for a Christian to say, I'm just being honest, I'm just telling the truth, is no defense. It's no defense. Because Satan, as he accuses you, is telling the truth as well. And God sees that as satanic, just the act of accusing. Do you know what, Jesus, what name Jesus is given in the New Testament? Your advocate. Your defense attorney. Jesus never accuses you to God. He defends you on the basis of his blood that he died for you. He stands in your corner. He doesn't shake his finger at you and accuse you to God or to anyone else. And that's when you know when you have accusing thoughts coming into your mind towards another person. It is not from Jesus. Because Jesus is the defender of the person you're accusing. And so for Christians... We do not talk behind people's back. We do not accuse them to other people. And we do not allow accusing thoughts to stay within our mind because that is not from Jesus. 
He is the defender. And our desire is to imitate Jesus, not the devil. That's the question in the Christian life. Whom am I imitating? Jesus or the devil? So he's called the accuser, and he's called the slanderer. He accuses people behind their back. Third, he's called the tempter. He seeks to turn us into rebels against God. He's called the destroyer. This means that he wants to destroy every good thing in your life. You have an enemy. He wants to destroy your relationships, your family, your relationships with your children, your health. He wants to destroy you because he hates everything God loves and God loves you. He's called Beelzebub or the Lord of the Flies or Filth. And this is an image that he's behind porn. He's behind all kinds of filth. He's mocked in the Bible as Lord of the Flies. He's called Father of Lies. He is a liar. And he's called Prince of the Air. He's called Prince of the Air because the scriptures say he was banished from heaven with a third of the angels who also rebelled against God and that he was put his realm now, he's prince of the air of the planet Earth. This is his kingdom that Jesus has come to invade. He is Lord of the demons and of darkness. Well, there are many other titles that he's given, but that's sufficient to say he's a pretty bad guy. And the question is, why did God create such an evil, destructive being? And the answer is, God didn't. Satan is spoiled goodness. Satan is an angel that God created that spoiled himself through his rebellion against God. Revelation 12 told us this morning there's a war in heaven between There was a war in heaven between one of God's greatest angels, Michael, and the rest of God's angels. And with the devil, Satan, and those who followed him. Ezekiel 28, if you have your Bibles, gives us the background to that battle in heaven. And I'd like to look through this verse by verse with you to give you some context for what this battle was like in heaven. It says in verse 11, beginning with Ezekiel 28, The word of the Lord came to me, that is to Ezekiel, Son of man, take up a lament. This is really an incredible verse because what it says is that God grieves over this angel that turned against him and became Satan. God is in grief over this. This lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is an emphasis. God is still sovereign. This is not a duality. Satan is not equal to God. God is still superior and more powerful. The question is going to be, who's the king of Tyre? And you're going to see as I read through this, the king of Tyre is not a human being. Because what is said of this king of Tyre could not be said of any human being. 
This is a spiritual being, and it's going to turn out to be Satan. And one of the things this text is teaching is that there are times when Satan, because he's the ruler of this earth, takes under his influence and even control political systems and governments. So that Satan really is the king of Tyre. Though the people of Tyre think it's their prince, it isn't. Satan stands behind this prince and actually rules. Let me show you how that's true. Who is the king of Tyre? You were a model of perfection. The being that God created was not evil. He was perfect in every way, ethically and morally. He was without sin, like all angels. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was, in fact, the most beautiful of all angels that God created. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, could any human being like the king of Tyre actually be in the garden of Eden? No, this is talking about Satan, who was in the garden of Eden tempting Eve, isn't it? This is the first clue. He's perfect, most beautiful, and he was in the garden of Eden. This is not a human being. This is Satan. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. There's a lot of imagery behind um, precious stones that would be on the chest of the high priest, etc., but it's too much to go into now. Just take it to mean he was powerful. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, key verse. On the screen I have uh, to show you a picture of the ark that would be in the Holy of Holies. And the ark is the invisible throne of God. And within the ark were the Ten Commandments given to Moses a piece of manna that did not uh, destruct. But the main thing was the Holy of Holies was the central part of the temple that only the high priest could go in once a year. And it was the dwelling of God. And the dwelling of God was invisibly upon this throne. And on either side are what? Two guardian angels. And the purpose of those guardian angels is to guard the throne of God. This being that Ezekiel 28 is speaking about was one of those guardian angels. But he came to the place, the text is going to tell us, he no longer wanted to guard the throne, he wanted to take the throne. This is what breaks God's heart. So, you were anointed as a guardian angel, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless. This was not an evil being that God created. He was blameless in your ways from the day you were created. This is important. The devil is not eternal, though he's immortal. He is not like God. He is a creation of God gone bad. He is a fallen angel. So he is not equal to God here. He's a creation of God gone bad. Till wickedness was found in you. What wickedness? 
Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. What sin? So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. And I expelled you, O guardian angel, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. So pride developed within this angel because of the position God had given him, because of the attributes God had given him, the gifts of God. He came to the place. He no longer wanted to lead the worship of heaven, of God upon the throne. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to be the center of the universe. And he wanted to be worshipped. Me, 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 me. Competitiveness with God is the essence of pride, competitiveness. That was his sin. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. Why did God create the devil? He didn't. He created one of his most beautiful, powerful angels who corrupted himself and spoiled all of his beauty because of his pride. I want you to know this can happen to any person. It can happen to any of us. And so as you look at this teaching, C.S. Lewis has a profound insight at this point that helps me so much to understand really what evil is. All badness C.S. Lewis says, our sin is only spoiled goodness. In another place he says, God, the devil can't create anything. He's not a creator. Only God creates. All the devil can do is spoil the goodness God has created. So all evil is a parasite. All evil is spoiled goodness. And that's why evil so often can masquerade as goodness. Let me give you some examples. Don't they pop into your mind? Porn is spoiled beauty of the human body and of the sex that God has given us. It's spoiled. Gossip is truth spoiled. It's what it is. Oh, I'm just telling the truth. That's never the truth, but that's what we claim. I'm just telling the truth. It's just spoiling something that is so beautiful, truth, and using it to tear down a relationship or create division. But we get away with it because we claim it's truth. This is what is so insidious about the workings of the devil. The devil is spoiled goodness, and that's his main way of operating in our life. That's why he is so deceitful and deceptive. I just offer this to you. It has helped me so much as I examine my own life. Look for spoiled goodness. The things I call good that really are spoiled. Well, what does this all matter? Well, first it matters because the fall of Satan teaches us this. A certain kind of thinking produces a certain kind of person. I don't know any deeper thing to tell you than that. A certain kind of thinking produces a certain kind of person. And that's the explanation of how a beautiful angel became Satan. A certain kind of thinking produces a certain kind of person. 
An angel became Satan when he let his pride take over his thinking and he started thinking he was better than God, that he knew better than God, that he should be God, he should be the center. Me, 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 me. That's how a beautiful angel became Satan. Lewis has another great line here that has haunted me for years. He says this. Through our thinking behavior, we are either becoming little Christs or little devils. No one is standing still in this life. We are all moving one way or the other. We are either becoming little Christs or little devils. It's true. A certain kind of thinking produces a certain kind of person. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia in one of my favorite books of the seven, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, has a fantastic description of how what happened to Satan can happen to any of us. Uh, he creates this figure called Eustace Scrub, and he says he deserved his name, Eustace. It is because Eustace really was such a complainer, such a self-centered, negative person. And Lewis very artfully reveals the thinking, what the thinking is of Eustace Scrub through his journals. He tells us what Eustace will journal at the end of the day. And let me, he's on this boat and here's his journal at the end of the day. No proper saloon, no radio, no bathrooms, no deck chairs. I was dragged all over it yesterday evening and it would make anyone sick to hear Caspian showing off his funny little toy boat as if, as if it were the Queen Mary. I tried to tell him what real ships are like, but he's too dumb. They call him a king. I said I was a Republican, but he had had to ask me what it, that meant. He didn't seem to know anything at all. Needless to say, I've been put in the worst cabin of the boat, a perfect dungeon, and Lucy has been given a whole room on the deck to herself. And the food is awful too. As a person thinks, so he will become. That's what the Bible says, Proverbs. As a person thinks, so he is. Let me read you what happens to Eustace. He turned into a dragon while he was asleep, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart. He became a dragon himself. And then the rest of the story is how lonely it is to be a fire-breathing dragon. What an image of this guy who's so critical and negative and complaining about everything. He's like a fire-breathing dragon. And so he becomes a dragon. I have seen this repeatedly in my counseling. A person when they were 19 was a joyful beautiful, fun-loving person, and you meet them after they've had some disappointments in their life when they're 40, and they are no longer that, but bitter, complaining, and negative. A certain kind of thinking produces a certain kind of person. You are in spiritual warfare whether you realize it or not. 
because Satan is constantly attacking your thinking because he knows we become our thoughts. We need to take this seriously, a lot more seriously. We've got to start asking ourselves, are the thoughts I'm thinking what Jesus would think? Does this sound like Jesus in my head? Or does this sound more like the devil, the accuser, the tempter himself? You are in spiritual warfare whether you realize it or not. And the battle is in your mind. The first learning from an angel becoming the devil is that spiritual life and spiritual advancement depends upon mental victories. If you don't have mental victories in your mind, you will never lead the Christian life. You will lead a fallen life. You must have mental victories and fight the battle in your mind. And this is why Ephesians 6 says, you see it on your screens, for our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The spiritual battle begins here. And the Bible says there's only one offensive weapon to defend yourself with, and that's the Word of God. It's your only weapon against the thoughts He's putting into your mind. How good is your sword? Do you have anything in your hand to fight Him in your mind? How well do you know the Word of God? Negative thoughts are coming into your mind about a situation or against a person. Philippians 4, verse 8 comes to mind. Whatever is good, lovely, whatever is worthy of praise, think on those things. Sword. You're getting angry as a parent or as a husband or wife. And you're beginning to blow and coming into your mind is Galatians 5, verse 26. The fruit of the Spirit is unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, ah, yes, and self-control. The sword of the Spirit. This is why we emphasize so much Bible studies at FPC. You need to be in Bible studies. When you get up in the morning, do you read your Bible? Do you memorize your Bible? Do you have any weapons in the spiritual warfare that's going on in your mind, whether you know it or not? The second lesson from the angel becoming Satan is the Bible says he is the prince of this world, the God of this world. In other words, he can even use governments and political powers for murder and for destruction. That's why earlier Ezekiel 30 and Ezekiel 28, he's called the king of Tyre. He rules actually the government of Tyre. In the book of Daniel, Daniel spends 21 days in prayer for God to reveal the meaning of something to him. And finally, after 21 days of no answer from God, Michael, one of God's greatest angels, comes to David, uh, Daniel, and he says that he had been detoured 
He'd been fighting an angel, one of Satan's devils. And in Daniel 10, verse 13, the angel Michael says this, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. The prince? The government of Persia was under the influence of the demonic. That's what the Bible teaches because he's the prince of this world. This is not a human ruler that's opposing Michael. Humans can't fight angels. This is spiritual warfare between God's angel and a fallen angel who is the real ruler of Persia controlling its policies. Remember what Ephesians 6 verse 12 said? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Don't you see the implication? It's so huge. This means that spiritual warfare for a Christian is a lot more than fighting your personal temptations. A lot more. No spiritual warfare is out there in the arena of public policy as well. Christians must not reduce spiritual warfare to fighting their personal temptations. Christians are called to fight battles that are not their battles. As soldiers in the God's army pushing back Satan wherever he is found. Jesus claims every inch of this earth for his kingdom, whether it's in politics, business policies, schools, or public morality. It is the kingdom of Jesus that comes to take it. Did you know that the consensus among scholars is that both Karl Marx and Engels were involved in satanic worship? Did you know that Marx, as a teenager, was a devoted Christian, but suddenly he turned into a God-hater and wrote a lot of material hating God? One of his poems is the reversal of the name Emmanuel. That's what he calls it, the name of God. That's satanic practice. You reverse everything God does. And in there he talks about a black abyss designed for Satan that Mark says he wants to drag all of humankind into with himself. Did he not do that? In his poem, The Pale Maiden, Marx writes this. Thus heaven I forfeited, I know it full well, my soul once true to God is chosen for hell. He was a satanic worshiper. And what he did through his policies was try to stamp out the church and replace it with atheism. And in the process, he murdered 81 million Soviet citizens. Does that not sound like the murderer and the deceiver? The occult and Satanism, did you know this, were even more prominent with Hitler and the Nazis? Dr. Rollo May, one of the most preeminent psychologists, psychiatrists in his book, Love and Will, and Hugh Trevor Roper, who's one of America's greatest and most respected historians. These are not wackos. These are not wackos. Among many other historians show how Hitler, Hess, Goebbels, and Himmler were all deeply involved in Satanism. 
Remember what the Bible says about Judas? In Luke chapter 21, then Satan entered Judas and Judas went to the chief priests and discussed how he might betray Jesus. He entered Judas. The same thing he said in Acts 5 of Ananias, Satan filled Ananias' heart. This is not demon possession, but this is, that's a different thing. It's filling a person's heart so much that you really begin to take control of them. Let me tell you one of Satan's favorite lies. I'll tell you Satan's favorite lies. His first favorite lie is he doesn't exist. He's just a cartoon. His second favorite lie, Christianity should have nothing to do with politics. William Stringfellow, one of the most brilliant Christian minds who regrettably died a few years ago, Harvard lawyer who devoted himself to the defense of the poor but wrote many challenging things to Christians, has a great line. This is what he writes. In Nazi Germany, resistance to the government policies was the only Christian way to live. Think about it. In Nazi Germany, using mentally ill and gypsies for medical experiments, robbing Jews of their homes and businesses, and then planning their extermination. In the policies of that country, the only Christian way to live was resistance. It was the same with Wilberforce, 18th century England, fighting in the parliament against British slavery for, 20, for uh, 40 years. It was not his fight. He was white, not black. He was rich, not poor. This was not his fight. But he fought against British government policies because he was a soldier for the kingdom of God and he did not go AWOL. We are not to see Satan under every rock or to start calling people anti-Christ or Satan because we disagree with their policies in some way. That is not the Christian way. But spiritual warfare in the powers and principalities, Satan will use every power available for him to destroy everything God loves. People, families, morality, Everything that is good, he wants to spoil. Because as Revelation chapter 12 said this morning, he knows his time is short and he is full of angry. We must expand our idea of what it means to fight in spiritual warfare. It is much more than to fight against our temptations. It is to engage the devil wherever he is trying to spoil the goodness of God. And that includes public policy. It is to fight battles that are not ours because they're God's. Wow, that message was packed with quotable insights for living, wasn't it? If you're blessed by these podcasts, why not share them with friends and spread the blessing? Christians today in America, like at no other time in memory, need the encouragement of these messages to stand up for Jesus. So share the blessing, and God bless you.